Well, our reading today is Luke 24, verses 13 through 49. It's a long text, but let's look at it. And there's a few words of introduction about it first. This is one of those parts of Scripture that's just so beautiful, it it almost aches. This story of two disciples. One of them, we know the name, Cleopas. The other one, we don't know the name. We don't know who it is. Who leave Jerusalem on Easter Sunday, and they haven't gotten the entire story of the resurrection yet. They've heard little snippets of it, but they don't know what's going on. And so you can imagine that they're leaving Jerusalem in a really dejected state. They're depressed. They're grieving. They've um, seen the Lord crucified. Um, They've heard some word that the tomb is empty, but they don't know quite what that means yet. And they're leaving because Jerusalem isn't safe. Jerusalem isn't a good place for them right now. There's still people out looking for them. They don't want to be associated with the name of Jesus because that has risk involved in it. And so they're, they're walking, walking to Emmaus, which is about seven miles away. And on the road, they get this unexpected companion that walks along with them. And they don't realize that it, it is the Lord but they have this incredibly meaningful conversation with him anyway. And then only later do they realize who it is, and they start to put together what it was that was happening. Uh, And as we'll see later, I think that this this is very much our story. This This is somehow how Christ comes into our lives at times, and we'll get into that. But that's enough introduction. Luke 24, 13 through 49. Now that same day, that is Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents both grew up in Christian homes. They both grew up Lutheran. So I grew up in the Lutheran church. I was baptized into it as an infant. And I was surrounded by my church family all my life. And that was a very positive thing for me. It was a very wonderful church upbringing. Church was a place where we saw old friends. Church was a place where we sang and prayed and read the scriptures. And I always felt like I belonged there. Lutherans uh, don't, don't always get baptized when they're older. Like I said, they get baptized as infants. So later on, uh, they have confirmation. And that's the point at which you affirm the things that were promised about you when you were baptized. And so sometimes confirmation is called affirmation of baptism in the Lutheran church. And that happened when I was about 12, 13 years old, is the pastor. We would go into the pastor's study, and he would teach us. There were a lot of things that we had to memorize. Um, there was a lot of scripture and just the teachings of the church. And I very much remember thinking at that point in my life, I have to get up in front of the church and say, yes, I agree with this stuff. I agree with what they're saying to me. And so I better make sure I do. And so I did. I, I thought it through, and I realized somewhere along the line, I've become a Christian. I can't exactly put my finger on the, on the day when it happened, but I'm a Christian now, and I'm going to get up in front of the church, and I'm going to agree to what they say. And I did. And one of the greatest things that I remember from that was that the pastor chose for each of us a different confirmation verse. It was a verse of the Bible that 
he thought matched our personality. He thought it matched what God wanted to do in our lives. And I still remember mine, and I have it memorized, not because I had to memorize it, just because it was, became so meaningful to me. Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And so I became a Christian. And there was a lot of structure in my, my family's life together. We would um, start the day with breakfast together all at the same table, even if I had to get up extra early just to be with my older siblings who started school earlier than me. We sat together at the table. My mom or dad would read from the scriptures and from our daily bread. They would pray. And uh, I always liked it when my dad prayed because he prayed shorter than my mom. My mom has the gift of praying long prayers, which now I appreciate because sometimes I call my mom up and I just say, will you pray with me on the phone? And she'll say, yes, let's pray right now. And I just sit on the phone and I hear my mom praying and it's, it's a balm. It's a balm to my soul. But that was the life that I grew up in uh, as a child of the church, as somebody who became a Christian by osmosis, um, who had to make a decision at one point to claim this faith as his own. Um, and in a family with a lot of structure, but that was experienced in a very good way. Now, into all of that, I realized also that I was a human being. I, was, I realized I was a sinner. And I, I really resonated with the Apostle Paul when he talks about in Romans 7, he's, when he says, I don't do the things I really wish I would do or I know I ought to do. And I do do the things that I don't want to do. I'm a wretched person. Who will, who will rescue me from this body of death? And so even as a young person, I, I struggled with my conscience that I was a sinner. What am I going to do? Why do I do the things that I do? Why am I the way that I am? And that was a challenge, but, but the church had the answer for me. They said, yeah, there's the law. The law is that you've broken it that you can't keep it by yourself, that you're a sinner and that you've fallen short of what God has for you. But they never ended with the law. They never ended on that note. They always moved to the next step and said, but the gospel is that Christ has redeemed you and has forgiven you all of your sins. And you come to him, yes, out of contrite heart and in repentance, and you're aware of what you've done. But the blood of Christ on the cross has washed all of that clean for you. When I was a teenager, I <clears throat> started going to an evangelical free church because they had a youth group, and my church didn't have a youth group. And so there I was in, exposed to a whole different kind of Christianity. It was very positive. One thing I found about the evangelicals was they were incredibly optimistic, and that's what I still love about evangelicals is in their DNA. Because to an evangelical, there's nobody in the world that doesn't know Jesus who isn't about to get to know Jesus through me testifying to them somehow. It's incredibly optimistic. And I love that about the evangelicals. And they, they were accepting of people who were in all sorts of brokenness because they'd say, yeah, that person has a totally messed up life, but God hasn't reached into their lives yet and given them a new start, and they haven't been born again yet. But they will be eventually. Now, the Sort of the flip side of that was once you already received it, then you had to act a certain way. And there was some toxic legalism in there. You had to say the right things. You had to vote the right way. You had to kind of look like you were keeping the law. And if you weren't, they thought, well, maybe we need to send you back to remedial evangelical school so you can kind of figure it out again. That's sort of this cycle. 
So there was pluses and minuses with that, but I, I had a great experience and count myself an evangelical as a result of that. And God put it on my heart then that I had a testimony, that I could tell the whole world. And I was optimistic that the harvest was completely full and that all that it was lacking was laborers to go out into that harvest and to bring it in. Human life intervened again after this when I was 20 years old. And some of you know this and some of you don't. I got married when I was 20 years old. And it was an evangelical match made in heaven because I was going to the evangelical free church and I was dating the daughter of the area director for Youth for Christ for Tucson. And it was, it was just the star-studded engagement. Everybody thought it was great. Some people were worried that we were kind of young because I was 20 and my, my wife then was 21. But other people looked at us and said, you guys are so with it. You've got it all together. You'll figure all this stuff out. You guys are way ahead of the game. Well, we should have listened to some of those voices, including my mom. Interesting. My mom. That's great. Always the wisdom. Kids, if you're listening, listen to your moms and your dads. Um, there's some wisdom there. And um, what we weren't prepared for was that three weeks after our wedding, my father died of cancer. And we knew he was going to die. We just didn't know, know he would die that soon. It was, it was a diagnosis that came. And we were so young and so immature and so insecure that we didn't know how to not get married when we heard that there was this tragedy coming in our family. We didn't know how to say, hold on, Hans Eric needs to focus on this part of his family and, and work that through before he can take this really big step of spending the rest of his life with somebody. And that was a really difficult time. I was a newly married person trying to figure out how to be newly married, trying to figure out how to grieve, go through the stages of grief at the loss of my father, trying to care for my own family in their grief, trying to be a college student and finish college. I mean, it was, it was a lot at once. And the upshot of it all is that this, this marriage didn't last. Uh, after about a year of being married, I realized this isn't gonna, it's not going to go. It's not going to work out. And that was deeply painful because I always thought, you know, as a good evangelical and as a good Christian, we don't get divorced. We don't do that. Other people do that. Fallen people do that. But good Christians don't get divorced. You made a, you made a pledge in front of God and all sorts of people. You don't do that. Um, until we realized that there was more peace in being apart than there was peace, <laughs> than the lack of peace at being together. Um, and that was really sort of the lowest part of my life because in the midst of all those marriage problems, we stopped going to church. We didn't, we didn't really want to go. And personally, um, I didn't want to be at church because I didn't want to be around Christians. I, I was angry at... My wife then, I was angry at God because I'd lost my father. I was angry at my dad for dying young. It wasn't his fault, but I was angry at him. It didn't make any sense. And I was angry at Christians because I thought at the time that Christians had everything together and were always happy. And it was painful to be around people like that at that time in my life. I just couldn't stand it. So we stayed away from church. We stayed away from community. Eventually, that relationship fell apart, too. And so at the end, I just had a few friends that were close, but I had walked away from God. I had walked away from marriage. I'd walked away from a faith community that would have sustained me, and I was kind of alone, and I was walking away. 
that's half the story. That's half of my story. And I wanted to tell my story because I've been here for six months, and some of you don't know the whole story. And I want to tell you some of the story. Uh, and, and this is like fire. I don't want to touch it too often. I don't want to talk about myself too much because the scriptures tell us that we should preach Christ and him crucified and, and ourselves last. But now maybe is a good day to talk about it. Because I was walking away from the center of my faith at that time. And in today's reading today, these two disciples resonated with me. They were walking away from the center of faith. They were walking away from where everything had happened in Jerusalem. They were getting out of town because of grief, because of disappointment, because of who knows what. They were leaving town. And what they found was that even though they were leaving, this mysterious companion started walking next to them. It says that they, they were even kept from knowing who it was. This is great literature. This is great drama. Jesus is a little sneaky. He's a little, he's a little crafty. You know, why, why is he not revealing himself in this way, but then yet revealing himself in this way? Um, at this time in my life, when I was walking away from God, I knew he was still there. I was angry at him. I had this sense that he still was holding me in his hands, but I was kicking and pushing and flailing my arms around like crazy. I really wanted to get out of there. At that time, I moved to the Bay Area. I got a job in Santa Clara. Um, and I remember this like it was yesterday. I, I was living in a hotel waiting for an apartment to come free. It was November 8th, 1992. It was my birthday. It was a Sunday. I knew that there was a football game on in the afternoon that I was going to want to watch on the hotel television set. But in the morning, I had three or four vast hours stretching ahead of me. I wasn't at work. I was alone. I was lonely. And I said, at least there's people at church, and they're going to have to talk to me. You know, they don't, they're not going to have a choice, right? So maybe I'll go to church today. It was like the second week I was in town. So I opened up the yellow pages, and there was an ad for Bethel Lutheran Church. And it had, it had a map of how to find it based on where all the freeways were, which was good for a newcomer to town. You love that. You don't know where anything is before GPS was so common. And so I went to Bethel Lutheran Church. And nothing super amazing there happened except the pastor preached a sermon called What is Faith? Pastor David Place. And he didn't know that I was there that day. He didn't know how much that would mean. But that was the question I was asking myself as I was sitting in the pew. What is faith? Why am I here? What is this all about? And some of the young people came up to me and said, you look new here. Why don't you come to lunch with us after church? And I did. And I sat in their house, and we just talked and talked and talked. And I didn't even tell them any of my long story of woe. I just was like, hey, I'm with people right now. And the football game started, and I didn't, I didn't even care that I missed the beginning of it. I was so full. And you can bet I went back. And I went back week after week, and I found this community. And eventually, I told them my whole story. And I was expecting their judgment. I was expecting them to say, yeah, you really screwed up. Yeah, you got a divorce. Yeah, you really, your life is a mess. That never came. They just said, yeah, your life has been really hard. God loves you. We love you. There's forgiveness for what you feel like you've sinned about. And, and Christ's blood covers this all. 
And so I found a new family, and I, I feel like as I was walking along this road, Jesus was revealing himself more and more and more to me through community, through his life, through other people speaking into my life. That happened in the church. When Jesus reveals himself to these two disciples, finally, and it wasn't until they invited him in to some sort of roadside inn or wherever it was at their destination, and that they sat down and said, let's have community with this stranger, that the stranger broke bread, and instantly their eyes were open to who it was. Jesus was revealed to them in community, in them opening themselves up to him, but he was also revealed to them in this act of breaking the bread, of him reenacting or symbolizing what he had just been through on the cross. He was revealing himself as the crucified Christ to them. I don't think I could have become a Christian on my own. It took my family. It took my church. It took them surrounding me. It took my pastor giving me that confirmation verse. And then when I left the faith and walked away from it, I could not have come back to it on my own. It was, again, a community that drew me in. And as part of that time spent in that church, I began to think and think and think and pray. And it became apparent to me through the testimony of other people, not my own, that I needed to take what God had given me and start giving it away to everybody else. And so that's when I started about leaving a very comfortable job in Silicon Valley and packing up, actually giving away almost everything I owned except for two boxes, which I mailed to Minnesota, and anything else I could fit in my convertible Mustang, which if you have ever had a convertible, you know it has no trunk space at all, and getting on the road and driving to Minnesota and saying, what's next? All right? And there I was in Minnesota, you know, starting seminary. That was in 1994. I was only here for two years. God, God and his sovereign, divine, and gracious will brought me back eventually, um, and I met Krista, the girl next door up in Mission Springs, and the rest is, is still being written. And God is still revealing as we're walking along this road together. And so this, this is, if, if not Revelations 3.20, this passage about the road to Emmaus is, is a story that resonates with my faith journey. You may find another part of Scripture where, you know, that's my story. This one, this one is, in this season of life, this is my story. But there's two things I want to say about this. Um, when the disciples figure out it's Jesus, I, I almost have this picture of them dropping their bread on the table and running back to Jerusalem. It says, at once they got up and went back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. There they found that they, they weren't the only ones who had seen Jesus. They found that Peter had seen Jesus. Um, they found, probably found that Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus. And there's this sense, and then Jesus appears among them right at that moment and, and tells them, stay here. Stay here in the center of your faith until you've been given this gift that I'm going to give you. And he's talking about Pentecost some 40, 50 days later. And there's this sense that Jesus is saying, at, a time, at certain times in your life, he wants us to return to the center of our faith, to get filled up with his power, with his spirit, to be filled up by the revelation of who he is as he reveals himself, and then to wait in that center until we're blown out 
by the Spirit to go and reach all the nations, as he tells his disciples here. And then to stay out there for a while and let our tanks empty a bit. And they're going to get empty and we're going to get smashed and mushed and hurt and find some grief out there. And it's not going to be easy. And it wasn't easy for those first disciples. And there's a pattern of them coming back to Jerusalem and going out again and coming back to Jerusalem and going out again. And Paul does this. Peter does this. They're always taking trips and coming back. Finally, Peter comes back and acts and we never hear from him again. We don't know what happens to him. But there's this sense that Jesus is saying, come to the center of your faith to the place where I reveal myself to you, the place where I died for your sins and then get blown out again and then come back again. And I think of the, uh, the old shampoo commercial. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Just go out, come back in, go out again, come back in again and fill up. And there's seasons of our lives for doing these things. Um, question for all of us. What's your Jerusalem? What's your Jerusalem? What's that place that Jesus calls you to come back to to get filled up again and from which he will send you out again? What's that place where he reveals himself to you and, and, and shows you who he is and transforms you? Where is that place for you and how do you get back there? The second thing I want to say about this is that so much of what Jesus is doing here, and he mentions it at least twice, is that it's, it's bound up in that the Christ will suffer. The Christ will suffer. He says it twice. This place where he's calling us back to is actually the place where we really don't want to go back to. It's the place where he dies. For the disciples who were on the road, they, they were leaving Jerusalem. They were leaving. They wanted to get away from Jerusalem. After that revelation, though, they wanted to get back to Jerusalem. But to them, Jerusalem was a bad memory. They even said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. In their mindsets, the one who was going to redeem Israel was the Messiah, and he was going to show up triumphantly. And behind him was going to be a legion of angels with fiery swords that were going to be ready to slaughter anyone that got in his way. That was their mindset. That was the Messiah. That's what they had hoped, that this person would redeem Israel. Instead, he comes and gets murdered by the Romans and tortured to death and dies and is in agonizing pain, and the disciples are left disheartened and frightened and scared, and they're running out of town. Jesus is calling them back to this place of defeat, of humiliation, of fear, of anxiety, of hardship, of grief. Wow. Why would we want to go back to that place? God calls us sometimes back to that place too to, to work on some of that stuff. And that's because that's how God has chosen to heal the world. He doesn't heal the world with an army of angels at his back. He heals the world by dying on the cross. Uh, I'm a person that wants to avoid grief. I don't want to run back to Jerusalem all the time. I want to avoid pain. Who doesn't? I want to avoid the feeling that I'm out of, not in control. That's the most terrifying thing I know, is feeling like I'm not in control. I hate it. I hate feeling like I'm not in control. But Jesus is saying, stay in the city until I've given you power. And what I've realized is that when I'm running away from all those things, from grief, 
from anxiety, from pain, from lack of, lack of control. I'm running away from the cross. I'm running away from that place where Christ reveals himself to me as the Savior of the world. And some of that grief and anxiety comes about because of some of the choices I've made, but some of it came about through things that aren't in my control. But it doesn't matter which, because Christ is asking me and all of us to go to that place at the cross and to put all those things that tear us up, to put them where they belong, on the cross to use them to nail the nails into Jesus' wrists and into his feet and to place them on his head like a crown of thorns because when we do that, this blood will flow out from those places where it pierces him and it will cleanse and transform those things that have torn us up and it will cleanse and transform us. And then we'll start to understand that our hearts are on fire They're burning inside of us because Jesus has become a companion to us on this road that we can see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for calling us back to Jerusalem, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for taking it all on, on the cross and suffering for us. In Jesus' name, amen.